Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hi, everyone. Judge Andrew Napolitano here for Judging Freedom. Today is Tuesday, November 14th, 2023. Professor Jeffrey Sachs, home from four weeks of traveling to the far corners of the earth, uh, returns to us from New York City. Uh, Professor Sachs, always a pleasure. Great to be with you. Hope you're caught up on your sleep. And thank you so much for coming back uh, to the program. I want to spend most of our time discussing Israel, but I need to ask you, uh, one or two questions about Ukraine. And before we get to Ukraine proper, I would like your thoughts on the um, latest CIA leak through the Washington Post that a Ukrainian colonel currently in prison uh, because of some botched effort to uh, recruit a Russian uh, pilot, which somehow ended up in people's desks. There's a picture of him in, a, in one of those glass cells in a courtroom that he orchestrated uh, and and supervised the destruction of the Nord Stream pipeline. Cy Hirsch, of course, says this is nonsense, but the European press has picked it up. Well, how convenient <laughs> that someone already <laughs> under arrest in Ukraine is uh, now, now, now blamed. What do we know? Uh, we know the CIA lies uh, relentlessly. Uh, we know uh, that from the beginning, uh, when Nord Stream was blown up, uh, the fingers were pointed to Russia. You remember those uh, early days, uh, U.S. officials saying Russia probably did it. Uh, Then we had uh, Cy Hirsch's uh, detailed uh, account. Uh, Then uh, we have had the CIA say, well, actually, you know, we knew about this uh, in advance. We were given advanced warning, uh, but we didn't act on it. And yeah, probably was the Ukrainians. What I can tell you is that I was uh, asked to testify by uh, the Russian government, though, of course, I testified as an independent uh, scholar uh, and expert to the U.N. Security Council earlier this year. And I said something very straightforward, which was we need an independent investigation of uh, what happened. And of course, the United States was the one that opposed that. Uh The U.S. has blocked any independent investigation. It's absolutely outrageous. And I, you know, I was sitting there as the U.S. ambassador said, oh, we don't need an independent investigation. Everything is uh, going ahead properly. There's, uh, a, uh, there's a clip. I don't think we have it, Chris. It's an old, old clip from early on in the war, the Ukrainian war, where President Biden says we can destroy Nord Stream anytime we want. And who's standing next to him? 
the chancellor of Germany of doesn't open up his mouth or say a word or a peep. Well, Biden actually said, you know, if uh, the invasion takes place, Nord Stream is finished. Uh, and a, uh, a European reporter said, Mr. President, uh, this is a, a piece of uh, European infrastructure. How can you do that? And the president said, we have our ways. Right. So there was a, a lot of circumstantial evidence, including the absolute glee that Victoria Nuland uh, showed when she testified in Congress, the uh, tweet by the former Polish uh, foreign minister who said, thank you, USA, showing a picture of uh, the bubbles on the surface after Nord Stream was blown up, uh, the uh, chortling uh, by uh, Secretary of State Blinken, uh, in a press uh, uh, meeting with the Canadian foreign minister saying this is the best opportunity ever to wean uh, Europe away from uh, dependency on Russian natural gas. Mm -hmm. So we've, we've heard a, a lot of uh, hooey on this. Uh, why, the do US think, why do you think the CIA has come out? I'm saying the CIA because it came out in the Washington Post and we exactly. all know that relationship. But why do you think they're coming out with it now? I mean, the last thing they came out with was um, was a, a Gilligan's Island-like thing, you know, with six people on a sailboat, which, of course, is really, really absurd and insulting. But why are they coming out with this now? Why this guy in jail saying that he did it? And if he did it, does that mean General Zaluzhny knew about it? And does that mean that, even though this is not even remotely truthful, I don't, I don't get the reason it came out now and what the connection is. I, I wish I could tell you I'm waiting for Cy Hirsch to weigh in on this, uh, which he needs to do, actually, and I expect him to do it. There's a lot of intrigue uh, hour by hour in Kiev right now uh, between Zaluzhny uh, and uh, his team, uh, Zelensky. Uh, the U.S. is uh, obviously uh, deeply uh, involved in uh, the intrigue in Ukrainian politics. So it's very murky. I unfortunately can't give you a clear answer at all okay. on this. Uh, what I would like to uh, reinforce is that uh, the U.S. has blocked any truth-telling and any independent investigation of this from the very beginning and continues to do so until today. What is the uh, status of affairs in Ukraine? Is it is it all but over except for the U.S.'s refusal to acknowledge that? Well, there's an absolute uh, military catastrophe that continues uh, underway with Ukraine uh, bleeding people, infantry on the ground without uh, armored uh, protection, uh, of course, no air cover, uh, and uh, hourly stories about how Russia is about to take out uh, the energy infrastructure uh, for the winter. Everything is possible right now. What is uh, absolutely clear uh, is that uh, the U.S. did not have a plan, uh, pushed the Ukrainians into a disastrous counteroffensive. One argument that's circulating right now, which has some plausibility is that uh, the U.S. was gambling everything on uh, Prigozhin's uh, attempted coup, 
uh, which uh, ended uh, within the first moments uh, of uh, that attempt. But maybe that was the the secret play uh, that was the last card uh, that the U.S. was going to play. They don't know what to do. Uh, again, I've not seen such a miserable foreign policy team. In, in uh, we've we've had pretty bad ones all along, so maybe I shouldn't be comparative. But this is an incompetent group, and so I don't think that there is a strategy. And for Ukraine, uh, this is a kind of end game. And uh, Zelensky obviously is in desperation. Uh, the long knives are out uh, in Kiev. We can't follow it uh, hour to hour, but uh, there are very deep recriminations. And in the meantime, uh, Russia uh, has uh, air superiority, missile superiority, ground superiority, uh, and uh, there is no coherent approach uh, by the United States to uh, try to negotiate an end to this war. And what will, what do the neocons want us to do? Forget about Ukraine and focus on Israel and Gaza because they have no explanation. They have no justification. They have no, you and I have used this phrase for almost a year now, off ramp. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Well, you know, uh, for me, uh, one of the most uh, insightful essays I ever read was a 1970, I believe it is, essay by Daniel Ellsberg, who recently died, uh, where he uh, talked about the mess in Vietnam in a article called uh, The Quagmire Myth and the Stalemate Machine. And uh, Ellsberg had come out of reading the thousands and thousands of uh, pages of background, which constituted the Pentagon Papers. And what they showed was how much lying the U.S. did at every moment and how the generals lied to the public about the prospects of the war and so forth. But what was the one constant consideration was that the politicians wanted to hide any bad news at least till the next election. But in the U.S., okay, there's always a next election. So it's an unending sequence of lies but always geared towards get us to next November. So what the neocons right now want is to hide their failure. Uh, Biden is running for reelection. He's up to his neck in this failure. Uh, He's been at this personally uh, all through his vice presidency uh, and now his presidency. This is not something he inherited. This is something he led with Victoria Newland back in 2014 and even earlier. 
So they want to hide the bad news. So they want somehow to keep things going. That's why they asked for another major round of financing, which I absolutely hope Congress says stop. And right. I think that they are saying stop. Uh, but this is uh, basically help us get through next November. But that's right. too far away for them to succeed on this. This is so dreadful. Uh, the time has run out. The time for negotiations uh, actually was there years ago, but it's really uh, clearly and presently here right now. Switching gears, uh, Professor Sachs, why do you call the IDF slaughter in Gaza Netanyahu's war? Well, Netanyahu is uh, in charge, and uh, all wars are political. This is the first and most important lesson of war. It's the central doctrine of uh, von Clausewitz uh, in his uh, great tome on war, written uh, in the aftermath of the Napoleonic Wars. Von Clausewitz famously said that war is the continuation of politics with other means. So when you see a war, whether it's in Ukraine, which I have uh, described as a war over NATO enlargement, right. or you see a war in Gaza, which is really a war for uh, the right-wing Israelis to maintain domination over Palestine, you have to look not at the immediate uh, uh, proximate events, which was October 7, uh, the catastrophe uh, of a Hamas massacre uh, committed uh, on Israelis, but the longer, uh, deeper uh, facts, which is that uh, Israel has been dominating uh the Palestinian people for decades, and Netanyahu and his government are the most right-wing government in Israel's history, and their view is that that domination should continue, and we have had uh, the horrific uh, response to that, which is terrorism, uh, which is uh, deadly, but I call it Netanyahu's war because this is a war not fought towards a just political end, which would be end Hamas so that we can move to peaceful coexistence with the Palestinian people, but end Hamas so that we can continue our domination over what these right-wingers call greater Israel. Uh, and the meaning of that is partly religious, partly security, but what they mean is that Israel should not contemplate a Palestinian state, but rather keep control over all of the territories conquered in the 1967 war. That's the essence of Netanyahu's war. You don't hear him saying, we will defeat Hamas so that we right. have a two-state solution, so that we address the underlying causes. In fact, quite the contrary, even when the United States made a a statement, the U.S. government, Blinken, made a statement a few days ago that uh, uh, the Palestinian Authority should take over responsibility of Gaza. Netanyahu immediately pushed back, no, 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 uh, this is Israel will keep control over Gaza. Is he and more when, interested in killing 
Palestinian fighters than he is in rescuing the hostages? Well, certainly. Uh, this is uh, has nothing to do with rescuing the hostages. Uh, this is uh, uh, to militarily defeat Hamas. But it, this is urban warfare to the extent of bombing hospitals systematically, surrounding and bombing hospitals, cutting off the electricity of hospitals. And it's, it's not a surprise that the death toll is well over 11,000, not counting the children under the rubble. And more than 4,000 of that 11,000 are children. They're not paying attention to that. They think that they are going to defeat Hamas militarily, and then they will have ethnically cleansed northern Gaza because they're literally destroying the, the habitability of northern Gaza. And uh, this is, it's, a, it's unbelievable. There is no political outcome of this in their view other than just Israeli domination, which cannot hold. Uh, it, mm -hmm. it, it, it is uh, absolutely inimical to peace. And the approach that they're taking is, I think, every hour more likely to trigger a regional war that is out of control. Here Hezbollah is in uh, southern Lebanon has uh, thousands and thousands of missiles that can do great damage, uh, kill a lot of Israelis, uh, trigger a wider war, kill a lot of American soldiers. So I don't think that there is a plan because fundamentally uh, Netanyahu and his uh, cabinet do not want a political solution that is viable. Here is Jake Sullivan, the president's national security advisor, <clears throat> to speaking obliquely about a political solution, but basically attempting to answer the question of who will govern Gaza. Secretary Blinken has been clear that it's the West Bank and Gaza that need to be under unified control and the Palestinian Authority likely to govern that. It doesn't sound like the Netanyahu government is on the same page as the Biden administration because the prime minister said something very different just yesterday. Well, from our perspective, the way forward, the basic principles of the way forward are straightforward. And this is something that Secretary Blinken laid out publicly this past week. No reoccupation of Gaza, no forcible displacement of the Palestinian people. Gaza can never be used as a base for terrorism in the future, and Gaza's territory should not be reduced. Secretary Blinken also said that ultimately we do want to see the reconnection, the reunification of control between uh, the West Bank and Gaza under Palestinian leadership. The Palestinian Authority is the current leadership on the West Bank. But ultimately, it's going to be up to the Palestinian people to decide their future, who governs them. There haven't the been United elections States held will in support ages. A process. Well, that's right, Margaret. There haven't been elections held since the early 2000s. But post October 7th, we can't go back to the way things were on October 6th. When Netanyahu doesn't agree with anything that Sullivan just said. Yeah, and if uh, the U.S. government uh, is serious, uh, it can take those proposals straight to the U.N. Security Council. It uh, can 
uh, vote uh, with a unanimous vote, 15 to nothing, of the UN Security Council uh, for the recognition of a Palestinian state that uh, includes uh, Gaza and the West Bank, uh, and that includes the demilitarization, uh, demobilization of Hamas, and it would win the support of the Arab countries that have called for exactly that. Uh, it would uh, win the support of the world community that would call for that. So if the United States would follow through on that logic, uh, this war could end immediately. Uh, of course, the Netanyahu government would object, but the uh, Chapter 7 of the UN Charter gives the UN Security Council the power to implement actions uh, to preserve the global peace. Uh, and this is what uh, the United States should do. Instead, the U.S. has vetoed uh, any such approach. But if the U.S. would follow through on what Jake Sullivan said directly and clearly, we could reach peace. You have written, and I agree, and I expect everybody watching us now agrees, that Netanyahu is corrupt and unprincipled, that he trades Israeli security for personal power. Here he is attempting to answer, I should say, refusing to answer, uh, who, who's responsible? Well, let me restate it. Will you, Mr. Prime Minister, take responsibility for what happened on October 7th? Chris. The one thing they want to hear from you is that you take personal responsibility for failing to prevent the October 7th attacks and protecting your people. I know you say the time for that will come after the war. Why won't you take responsibility now? I've already addressed that many times. And I said this whole question will be addressed after the war. Why Just as people now? would ask, well, did people ask Franklin Roosevelt after Pearl Harbor that question? Did people ask George Bush after the surprise attack of November 11th? Look, it's a question that needs to be asked. I think and those questions, questions will were be asked. asked. And I've said, and I've said, I've said that one, one thing that is important, is, and I've said we're going to answer all these questions, including me. I'm going to be asked tough questions. Right now, I think what we have to do is unite the country for one purpose, one purpose alone, and that is to achieve victory. That's what I did. We formed a unity government uh, where the country is united as never before. And I think that's what we have to pursue. And what the people expect me to do right now is two things. One, achieve this victory and bring the hostages back. And second, assure that Gaza never becomes And two Israelis Israel who again. are disappointed that you still won't take responsibility, you say? Well, I said that I'm going to answer all the questions that are required, including the questions of responsibility. There'll be enough time for that after the war. Let's focus on victory. That's my responsibility now. He can't answer that prof truthfully, Professor Sachs. Well, he, he, uh, he should have resigned uh, that day. Uh, that's how a parliamentary system works, by the right. way. A parliamentary system works that a government takes responsibility for what was a, a catastrophic failure of uh, security and intelligence on that day. We have a presidential system. It's a different system. Uh, but in a parliamentary system, uh, he could be gone uh, in a moment and a new prime minister would be in place uh, in a moment and uh, he should leave today. Uh, this is not to mention uh, that he has been the single most divisive figure uh, in Israeli political history. 
uh, and that he has been essentially uh, uh, almost uh, nonstop the prime minister of Israel uh, during the last 14 years, uh, during which uh, Israel uh, has uh, uh, come to this disastrous situation because he blocked uh, every chance for a political solution. So for the longer term reasons, he should go. And for the responsibility of this catastrophic uh, intelligence and security failure on October 7, he should go. I want to talk to you about the third rail, which is uh, nuclear power. Um, two of um, Prime Minister Netanyahu's cabinet members, you probably know their names, Amikai Eliyahu and Itamar Ben-Gavir, have talked about using nuclear weapons. Now, Israel, we all know, has nuclear weapons. They can't acknowledge it publicly for a variety of reasons, not the least of which is federal law that prohibits federal aid to a country that doesn't comply with certain international protocols about acknowledging nuclear weapons. You know more about this uh, than I do. Um, I want you to watch Chris Cuomo trying to get an answer out of Prime Minister Netanyahu on this very topic. Uh, and tell me what you think of his answer. Does Israel have nuclear capabilities and nuclear weapons? Yes or no? Uh, we've always said that we won't be the first to introduce it, so we haven't introduced it. But that's and not an answer to the question. Do you have them or do you not? Of any country. It's as good an answer as you're going to get. Well, everybody knows that Israel uh, is a, a nuclear power. Um, of course it has them. And uh, we already heard the cabinet ministers, uh, one of them said, uh, yeah, we could use them. Uh, and then he was uh, uh, suspended uh, from his position for having said this. So this, this is not a close call. It's not a mystery. Uh, this, this is what it is. Uh, it's it's all the more reason for responsibility by Israel to find a path to peace. Uh, what I would emphasize about uh, all of this that may be surprising to some people, though I hope not, is that the uh, Arab countries have been calling for peace for years. Uh, they actually launched in Saudi Arabia in 2002 an Arab peace initiative which said very, very clearly, a two-state solution will lead to normal relations, peaceful relations, and security for Israel. And the Israelis didn't pick it up. And they mm -hmm. didn't pick it up because many of these right-wingers don't want a Palestinian state under any conditions. This is, the, this is the basic point. It's often said, oh, there's no one to talk to on the other side. Wrong. <laughs> All Israel has to do is pick up the phone and speak with Saudi Arabia, speak with Egypt, speak with Jordan. They all have said clearly, two-state solution, normal relations, security arrangements. This is what needs to be done. The reason they don't do it is that there are zealots, including religious extremists, that believe that this land is Israel's, that Palestinians are going to be under Israeli domination, full stop. And what Netanyahu and his 
cabinet, like Smotrich, who's the finance minister, and these other right-wingers believe is that they can brazen their way through anything because the U.S. will back them up no matter what they do. That's their gamble. Now, that may, put- be, that may be a gamble that, that they're willing to take because it seems like the U.S. will back them up no matter what they do. Joe Biden speaks out of both sides of, uh, of his mouth. We're wedded to the hip hit with Israel, but uh, oh, we need a ceasefire. You can't do that. I, I think what's happening is uh, the world's changing. Uh, the U.S. could brazen just about anything 20 years ago, but now the world really is multipolar. Uh, the whole rest of the world is absolutely aghast at this. Uh, the Ar- Arab and Islamic countries, uh, the, the leaders met a few days ago and issued a very responsible statement. Uh, They didn't uh, issue destroy uh, Israel, drive it to the sea. They said, no, Uh, this points even more urgently to the need for a two-state solution. So the United States will be alone in the world only with Israel and 191 other countries, uh, and that is uh, 95% of the world, will soon be on the other side. And the Biden administration and the uh, the diplomats in the State Department who are incredibly unhappy with what's going on in U.S. policy, that is, right. know that this is absolutely not in America's interest to just stand by Israel when peace is possible. And that's why you hear both sides of the mouth. That's, you know, as far as we get in American politics right now. But the point is, The U.S. cannot brazen this out, and Israel certainly cannot brazen this out if the U.S. isn't standing behind them. Why can't the U.S. put conditions on the use of military equipment and cash that we give them, just like we put those conditions on on military equipment we give uh, to other countries? The U.S. could stop this in five minutes because Israel depends on the U.S. for its security. I think the best way to do this for the U.S. that doesn't put the U.S. absolutely in terms of domestic politics at the complete center of this is to demonstrate that the whole world wants a two-state solution other than Netanyahu and his cabinet. And no doubt uh, many of the settlers uh, in the occupied territories. But other than that, the U.S. doesn't have to stand alone. Uh, Biden doesn't have to absorb all the political heat. It's just that the United States has to stop vetoing what the whole rest of the world is calling for. So, of course, the U.S. could stop this in a moment. Israel depends entirely on the U.S. backing. It's just been an automatic of U.S. politics up until now that that would always come. But the moment it doesn't come, we have a different approach. And that's all the U.S. has to do. And if it's smart, the way to do it is to join the other 14 colleagues in the UN Security Council tomorrow and say, you know, this war needs to stop for global safety and for our own national security, after all, because the United States has troops in the region being fired upon every day. And so the U.S. has a strong reason for pushing to peace. There are partners. The Saudis want peace. Very clear. The Egyptians want peace. I'm speaking with the diplomats. There's no ambiguity about this. So this is all the United States has to do. And what Jake Sullivan said was fine, live up to it, actually do something. 
And it's easy to do because the whole world is on side. Israel's on side, aside from uh, this government, which is a despicable government that has let the country down. Professor Sachs is articulate uh, as ever. I had a few more questions, but what you just said was so powerful. We'll end right here. Okay, we'll, uh, be, we'll be back together soon. Absolutely, we shall. Thank you for your time. Much appreciated by the audience uh, and by me. Absolutely. Take care. Okay. Uh, coming up, uh, of course, Kevin uh, Demerit at 2 Eastern, Karen Kwiatkowski at 3 Eastern, and Scott Ritter himself at 4.30 Eastern today. Judge Napolitano for Judging Freedom.